0: So wonderful to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an interesting item. I just received this new lot. We've picked this up from a dealer that would wish to remain anonymous, but it is a collection of Sea Captain Logs. If we flip through these logs, this one is for the ship, the Prometheus. Flipping through these, we see... Uh, cargo we see some of the oh a passengers list very interesting uh this one over here if we look this up we flip through this this is from the caribos these ships uh, both sailed in the late 1800s Oh, here is the passenger log from the carabos and as I flip through these pages, looks very similar to the passenger log that we saw on the Prometheus. Very peculiar indeed, and that sort of peculiarity is what lies at the heart of this latest episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Netflix series, 1899. So 1899 is a new series on Netflix from the creators of the series Dark, which I was such a huge fan of Dark, and it was one of those series that was so... Oh, it's so involved and so complex and at times maybe even a little confusing. If you were like me and watched it as the series came out, as the seasons came out, I I made the mistake of not watching the previous seasons before I jumped into a new season. And with that storyline, you had multiple timelines and multiple age portrayals of every character. So it was really... Sometimes, you know, you jump into season three without rewatching season two. It was really hard to kind of keep up with. Okay. This is the older version of this character. And that's the younger version of that character. It was, it was all quite complicated. But it was also fascinating and such a joy to watch, even though it was at times a little tough to keep up with if you didn't, like I said, uh, rewatch some of the previous seasons before jumping into a new season. But it was just so fascinating to watch and so well constructed for a sci-fi series that just went in such directions playing with timelines and playing with time travel it was just so interesting and nothing like you'd seen at least seen done well on tv today and of course the creators yancha freeze and Bo odar just did a fantastic job with dark so when I found out they had this new series on Netflix 1899 uh, I was so excited and, and to find out they've actually been doing this for quite some time they started filming this during covid and it's only now that it's finally being released but just to have all the the constraints of of travel, uh, especially when you have such a multinational cast. Uh, it, w- it was amazing that they were able to do this and to be able to get this done. And we'll talk about that kind of as we go along. But this is such an interesting idea and done with that same quality, uh, that same level of creativity and writing and and story Planning that that made Dark so great, this really kind of uh, plays into that. And you can really tell this has the Yancha Freeze and uh, Baranbo Odar stamp on it. So I'm going to try to be as unspoilery as possible. We'll have a spoiler section at the end, but I really don't want to give too much away about this in case you haven't watched this, because if you haven't watched this, I really want you to check it out because I want shows like this to gain traction and get a lot of attention because that one, that means we'll get a second season and two that will show netflix that that we want to see great horror series we want to see great sci-fi series we want to see great fantasy series and we want to see movies in these genres as well so pretty much what this boils down to. It's set in 1899. You've got this steamship heading from Europe to America, full of passengers, uh, right around 1,500 passengers, 500 crews, something like that. And it's uh, full of a lot of immigrants. It's full of a lot of people of high standing as these, these ships often had. And it's traveling across the Atlantic Ocean. And then a mystery happens. Uh, of course, this is the Kerberos. Four months prior, a ship, the Prometheus, was lost at sea, and then they finally get a a, a signal from a ship they presume is the Prometheus. And that starts the mystery, and that starts all the the mayhem of what happens in this story. So I'm going to take this, we're not going to talk about all the characters, because like I said, there are a ton of characters, and all of them are multinational, as a ship like this would have. It's very interesting, because they had these characters, uh, if you watch any of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, Everyone speaks very fluent English, but they had all these characters, all these actors from different countries playing people of of these different nationalities, and they had everyone speaking their native tongue. So to speak, they had them speak in the, in the language of their nationality. So, if it was a German character, uh, they spoke German. If it was a Polish character, they spoke Polish. If it was a character from Portugal, they spoke Portuguese. If it was a Spaniard, they spoke Spanish. And it made for an interesting viewing experience because I, I watched this series in two ways. I watched it mainly with the English. Over dubs because I wanted to be able to focus on the action and not reading subtitles because if I'm reading subtitles sometimes I'll miss things or my eye will get drawn to something on the screen and I'll miss some of the subtitles. I don't want to keep going back and forth (laughs) trying to rewind. No, what did they say? And and so uh, I watch this mostly with the English overdubs on it but i also watched some of it probably like three or four episodes i watched sections of it with the original language and then it had the subtitles for all the the foreign language parts and it was really interesting uh, you really get a better sense of what they were trying to do with this when you watch it in the original languages because you have all these people On this boat, speaking different languages. And with the English overdubs, you know, everybody's talking to one another, everybody's answering each other, and it all seems like, oh, they just, everybody understands everyone. But when you watch it with the original language, you see one person talking to somebody in Polish, and then the other person is speaking Cantonese. And you realize they don't understand each other, but what they're doing is reading each other's eyes, reading each other's body language, the motions they make to try and understand what the other person is saying and communicating in a way that goes beyond just words and and verbal forms of communication. And that's very much what it probably would have been like on a steamship heading from Europe to America full of immigrants from from all over Europe everyone speaking different languages so that really was kind of a neat aspect i like the fact that the creators went this route, it's not something you'd see in TV these days, uh, American or otherwise. I mean, there's some European shows where you get a little sense of that. Different characters speaking different languages, especially uh, some of the German things I've seen, uh, Red Sky and stuff like that. Um, Into the Night was another one, I think, where it was kind of a multilingual cast. But I really enjoyed what they did with this cast and the way they treated this cast. Uh, Like I said, with Everyone's speaking the language of their native country, which I thought was an, a neat aspect. Like I said, I still had to watch the bulk of this with the English overdubs just to get a sense of what's going on, be able to watch it and to be able to, to get all the dialogue all at once and not have to stop and start again. Uh, but this is something where I would like to go back and watch it entirely in the original language just to get an even better sense of of what the creators were doing with this. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a lot of the main characters. I'm not going to go through every single character because uh, there are a lot of characters that, well, they have parts in the story. Uh, We're going to go over the main, I don't know, four or five characters. Uh, Maybe six, I'm not quite sure. Well, we'll talk about some of the other ones and just what I thought of the job of some of these kind of B characters, but we're just gonna talk about the A characters for the most part and their place on the story and how this story revolves around them essentially. Like I said, not going to be too spoilery, or at least I'm going to try not to be too spoilery, but if you haven't watched this, you probably should go watch it first and then come back and hear my thoughts on it. But uh, like I said, if if you're, you know, on the fence, you don't know if you want to watch it, you're going to see maybe listen to this and see what you think afterwards. I'm still going to not be too terribly spoilery until we get to the spoilery section, and then all bets are off. But First and foremost, we get to talk about who is probably the uh, main protagonist of this. Uh, or at least we think protagonist. By the end of it, you're not 100% sure, uh, but, I, but I do think she's a protagonist. Emily Beecham playing Moira Franklin. Uh, we also find out that that is her, I think her mother's maiden name. She's also a singleton. She's a neurologist, one of the first female doctors in the UK, and she's traveling to America. And We find out really quickly that it's not even so much to get to America. She's trying to find her brother. Her brother has been missing the four months since the Prometheus went missing. She believes he was on that boat, and she's trying to find her brother. But we find out rather quickly that uh, while she goes by Moira Franklin, I believe that was her mother's maiden name, she is a singleton, and it is the singletons who bought this line of steamships, that the Kerberos and the Prometheus have both been a part of. And her father is a British investor, and he uh, has supposedly outfitted these ships with uh, some strange technology that uh, nobody who runs the ship is quite certain what it's all about. But, you know, he's he's the one... (laughs) paying the bill so they don't really ask any questions but the moira franklin character is a character that you realize you're not quite sure how reliable a narrator she is going to be because she keeps having these flashbacks of being in an insane asylum And you don't know what for. She talks about how she can't have kids. You don't know if she had some sort of mental break because of that. This character is shrouded in mystery that plays out through the entirety of this season. And I think Emily Beecham played this character quite well. She really played kind of the instability of being a character that has had mental issues, We don't know the length and the breadth of these mental issues, but she does play that fragility, but she also plays a strength. She's a woman. She's traveling across uh, the Atlantic on a steamship by herself. She's uh, looking for her brother and she's investigating, trying to find out. She's not afraid to stand up to anyone and she's not afraid to stand up for, for what she's trying to do. Like I said, trying to find her brother. Another one of the main characters that I really enjoyed seeing him show up as uh eric larson he is the captain of the ship played by andreas pietchman Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. But uh, Andreas Pietchman played the stranger in Dark, the older version of Jonas. And I really liked his portrayal in that. I really liked uh, the way he did this character, the stranger, just had this air of mystery. And uh, I really enjoyed him as an actor in that. So I I was so glad to see him. It was one of those where uh, he showed up. I'm like, I know him from somewhere. And then when I kind of looked him up on the internet, I, I realized who he was. In dark, and I really liked his portrayal of this character because, where in dark, he is kind of the guy that knows everything. He knows about time travel, he knows, you know, who these various families are and what they're doing in the future, uh, the parts they play. He's the guy that understands what's going on in dark, whereas the Eric Larson character is kind of in the same position that we are. He has no idea what's going on. He is in the middle of this like the rest of the passengers. He is in the middle of this like we are. But you also find that much like the Mora uh, Franklin character, he is a broken character. He has a past. They tinker with the thought that he might be alcoholic. He's constantly sipping on a bottle. Uh, but you realize he probably has some reason his wife and his his daughters all died in a house fire an event that traumatized him greatly and he just really plays that kind of weather-beaten world-weary man that uh that this captain is uh, a man of the sea that really you know because uh, the the horrors that happened on dry land. You know, he's going to spend all his life out on the sea to to get as far away from that as possible, or to, to stay as far away from that as possible. And uh, Andreas Pitchman, he just does a, a wonderful job with this character that adds so much mystery but so much strength i mean this this captain is a strong captain he's he's a a man of honor even though he's kind of been broken and like i said world weary uh he is a man of honor he's just trying to do the right thing by his crew by his passengers he's a strong man and you see a bit of a kinship between him and Moira, uh, the Eric Larson and Moira Franklin characters. I, I think they see in each other kind of that brokenness that kind of, I, I don't know if they're going to do some sort of love interest thing. I, I hope not because that would make things weird with, with another character that we're about to talk about. But I, I really enjoy the fact that they, they work together quite well and they're both sympathetic to one another's plights, uh, which I, I think that is a testament to the actors, the chemistry of the actors on the screen. Another one of the main characters that really uh, I loved seeing this performance, Anurin Bernard plays Daniel Solis. Uh, he's a mysterious man that ends up on the Kerberos, and you don't really know what to think about at first. I mean, he's all dressed in black. He's got this dark hair. He's got kind of these, you know, the, the bags under his eyes, the darkness under his eyes. He looks like a bad guy. And when you see him, you know, you see him walk by and somebody is passed out on the floor. Or we find out dead on the floor, so to speak. You think he is up to no good. But then when you find out, and I don't really want to talk too much in this section about who he is and the part he plays But once you find out who he is and what his real intentions are, that's when the character really gets interesting because uh, he comes across as one note this way. But then you get a scene with him and another character we're going to talk about and you're starting to wonder who he is and what part he has to play. And then when it's divulged where he fits in this story, that's again where the character becomes more interesting and where you see how this character has a bigger part to play and and I liked how he played this character this character has a ton of mystery surrounding it and for the better part of this series but he also has a a bit of melancholy about him uh, just given his relationship with the Moira character as we find out and and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to get her to understand and realize he plays that anguish and that that melancholy quite well but he also plays a man on a mission where he is he's trying to get something done and he's he's not going to stop he's not letting anything stop him and uh, again we'll talk probably a little more about this character and and what Role he plays in the more spoilery section, but I really did love Urin Bernard's portrayal of the the Daniel Solus character. Another character that is really kind of integral is the Elliot character, aka the boy. Uh, We do eventually find out his name is Elliot, but played by Flynn Edwards. And this kid plays this part so well without really having much dialogue, at least in the first part. When you first meet this character, the character doesn't speak. He's essentially a mute and he's found under suspicious circumstances aboard the Prometheus when they finally get to it. And things start happening when he shows up on the ship weird things, strange things start happening, and he never says anything. Nobody understands why these weird things are happening, and he never says anything to defend himself or give anybody any idea that he may not be behind it. Or maybe he is behind it. You really don't know. Uh, There again, uh, another character that is just shrouded in mystery and and just judging by his facial expressions, judging by the few things that he does communicate to Mora, who kind of takes him in, has her charge, uh, you realize that he understands what's going on more than he's letting on. He's carrying around this black pyramid, which. Uh, seems to have some interesting properties about it. There's a small beetle, almost like a scarab, that is used. He uses it. Also, the Daniel Solis character uses this. And you realize that these two characters have some sort of connection, but you don't know what. And I think that's one of the beauties of this this story in this season is that it shrouds so much of the story and mystery, so many of the characters in mystery uh, that you can't help but wonder what's gonna happen next. Who is this? What are they doing? Why are they here? Why is this happening? Uh, The characters are shrouded in mystery, much like the uh, Kerberos is shrouded in a cloud of fog for the better part of the series. And another one of the main characters that you don't see him a ton, but what you do see him in is very telling, is the Anton Lesser character, Henry Singleton, Moira's father. He's the British investor that owns this line of ships, and really comes across as the antagonist. Moira feels that he is behind her brother's disappearance. She looks at him as a bad guy. He's not a guy that you know she wants to be involved with. And when you see him, you realize that things aren't all that they seem. With this world, because he seems to be in a place that is not of the time of 1899. We'll just put it that way. And he acts as an antagonist throughout this whole season, but that is because he is a rich man who once to get his way, wants what he wants, and he will do whatever he has to to get it. Even if that means that he may not be as in control as he thinks he is or as we as a viewer think he is. But Anton Lesser plays this part quite well. He always <laughs> plays the bad guy well. Uh, just watching him in this, uh, I just saw him in Andor, which we talked about on last Monday's podcast. He was in Discovery of Witches, which we talked about the, uh, the kind a series wrap up with that last year one of the rare moments he didn't play a bad guy in that one but but he does bad guys so well uh, of course we all know him as Grandmaster kyburn from uh, game of thrones but one of the things i like about his villains are that his villains they feel like the villain that doesn't think they're a villain they think they're they're the hero of their own story, and they don't look at themselves as the bad guy. They look at themselves as the, I'm the good guy. I'm the one that's trying to do this, uh, to try and get this done, and and he plays that kind of villain quite well. There's almost an air of gaslighting about him. You don't know what's going on. I'm the one that knows what's going on. I'm the one that is going to tell you how this is played out And 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 of course it all is to make himself look like the good guy. And and, and Anton Lesser, like I said, just a, a wonderful actor and always a delight to see him show up in, in any production. But I was really happy to see him a part of this because one the, the creators of this I respect so much. Especially after watching this. After watching Dark and having seen this, I just I can't wait to see more from them but to to, to see a an actor of this caliber show up in this just as like i said a, a little more weight to the cast as well. I mean there's some there's some gravitas to this cast when you've got somebody of his stature. I mean all the actors in this are, are top notch. But uh but when you have a name like that that you that you know from watching in series, all sorts of different genres, he adds a, a great anchor to this cast, I think. Now I'm gonna quickly go over some of the actors because I think all these actors and actresses uh they deserve some recognition for for their part, but We've covered all the main players. The rest of these characters are are kind of like B characters. But Miguel Bernardo plays uh, Angel. He's a, a wealthy Spaniard traveling with... Uh, Ramiro, who is a man portraying a Portuguese priest, played by uh, Jose Pimentel. They're a gay couple, and the angel character is kind of a, you know, he's a wealthy Spaniard, but he kind of has that Playboy air about him. He's in a relationship uh, with Ramiro, but he's also. Uh kind of he can't keep his dick in his pants, so to speak, uh, as we'll find out with another character. But uh, there's also another couple traveling on this Isabella Wei. She plays Ling Yi, uh, a young woman from Hong Kong. Uh, she's traveling with uh, a middle-aged woman who we, we find out is her mother, uh, Gabby Wong, playing yuk There's some mysterious circumstances as to why they're there. And, uh, of course, the uh, Ling-yi character is a geisha. But uh, she doesn't really seem to fit the role. And there, there's kind of a, a, a backstory as to why they're there and and why they're not what they seem. Uh, Jan Gale plays Jerome. He's a French stowaway, formerly the French Foreign Legion. Uh, he has a background with one of the other characters we'll talk about real quick. But he's... Uh, kind of on maybe not even a revenge mission, but uh, it's really kind of interesting to see where his story goes and, and who this character is because, well, you know, he's one of the B characters and doesn't have a, a whole lot of his story fleshed out. We get enough about it to see that he's a man of honor and he is a man who was unjustly accused and is trying I, like I said, I don't know if it's completely revenge that he is is on this ship, but we find out that he has a... Past in the French Foreign Legion with uh, Lucien, played by Jonas Bloquet. He's uh, an upper-class Parisian former lieutenant in the French Foreign Legion married to his wife, uh, Clemence, who is played by uh, Matilda Olivier. Uh, again, Lucien, uh, a man who is not really what he seems, and his relationship and his marriage with uh, Clemence is not all it's cracked up to be. Rosalind Craig plays Virginia Wilson. She's a wealthy the British socialite, essentially a a madam, so to speak. Uh, she has some dealings with the uh, Ling Yi character and her mother. Then you have Maciej Musiel uh, plays Oleg. He's a Polish worker working down in the in the bowels of this ship. He's one of the guys that that stokes the the fires of the engines that, that keep this ship running. And we he's an interesting character and an interesting character that I'm really excited to find. More more about as the seasons i yeah, hopefully there's more seasons of this but as the story progresses because uh you know he's an honorable man i i like how there is a budding relationship uh, between him and ling yi he's a character that that wants to do the right thing and and does the right thing when there's a a bit of a Uh, a mutiny at hand later on in the story. He's one of the guys that wants to go tell the captain. He wants to do the right thing. He's a man of honor. He's a man that you see, you know, he's constantly flipping out this uh, postcard of the Statue of Liberty and he got it from his brother and there's a backstory there uh, with him and his brother there's a story there of you know kind of the the atypical immigration story is somebody that's working on a ship to try and get to America to try and make a better life for themselves and uh, Mache museo plays this part really well he's he's very empathetic but he's also a very strong character a character i'm really interested in finding more about this character character. There's a a Danish family that that we meet. Clara Rosager plays Tova. She's a young, pregnant uh, Danish woman. Lucas Tonason, I'm probably butchering that last name, but he plays Crester. Her brother has this mysterious scar on his face. Maria Erwalter plays Eben, her religious fanatic mother who claims to hear the voice of God. And Alexander William plays Anker, her, her father who is a Danish priest. They're all traveling to New York with the, the youngest character, Ada Vita Shoshlev. Uh, I'm, again, I'm probably butchering that last name, and I apologize. But uh, this is a, a very interesting family. And this is the only group. I mean, everybody else is paired off. Everybody's traveling in pairs. This is the only group that is a family unit. And we get to see this family unit and what this family has gone through to get there. The reason behind Crestor's scar. We find out eh, quite early that he may be a closeted character. Well, he is a closeted character. I'll, I'll go as far as to say that. I don't think that's a huge spoiler, but he is a he is a young gay man who uh got this scar because of that. And, and this is a time where it wasn't uh acceptable to be uh gay. And we find that he has uh some run-ins with Angel. And uh, another gay man, and and the relationship that kind of builds from there. The disapproval from the parents. Uh, Tova, who, while she doesn't disapprove, uh, she's just trying to get him to to do uh, what the parents want. So, you know, they won't look down on him all the time. The mother, like I said, a religious fanatic, thinks she hears the voice of God, keeps claiming Tova's child is a child of God. But when we find out the real reason why she is with child and its link to Crestor's scar, uh, it's it's disturbing. Probably one of the more disturbing things in this series as, as to how that all went down and and that family dynamic. Well, uh, the family's kind of effed up in many ways. The family dynamic between these these five characters is quite interesting, and all of the actors I mentioned just play these roles quite well. It's so interesting to to see these these actors. the The father who's just in anguish. He's kind of like a almost a reluctant preacher he's only became a, a preacher because his wife claimed to hear the voice of god and and their relationship is is loving but strained uh, you know they have strained relationships with with crestor uh, strained relationship with tova uh the mother does and it's just Very interesting to see how this family dynamic plays out. Then, of course, there's the first mate, Sebastian, played by uh, Tino Muse. Isaac Dentler plays Franz. He's the captain's right-hand man, Uh, although he... He kind of says, "Screw that." I, I talked about a mutiny; he's involved with that later on, and then a, a whole cast of other recurring characters. Those are all the main characters. I only really spent a ton of time talking about the the few main main characters, but uh, those are all the characters involved and kind of their role to play in this. But this series really it is an amazing ride because it's 1899. You're confined to the steamship out on the open waters of the Atlantic. So there's kind of that that bit of claustrophobic feel to it. There's mystery to it. Uh, Not horror per se. I wouldn't call this a horror series. It's mystery. It's definitely science fiction. It does have some supernatural elements that uh, at times can feel like it's akin or horror adjacent but but at the heart this is a science fiction story and we really get the nuts and bolts of that science fiction as the story progresses, as these characters uh, all come together and you have the mystery of the Daniel Solis character and the boy Elliot coming on this ship and everything kind of going crazy. The ship in and of itself almost feels like a character at times because of all of the inner workings of the ship. The ship has had uh, different things Added to it, we'll say that make it not your ordinary ship from 1899. And never once in this do you get bored. Uh, I really felt myself uh, being so caught up in all the different mysteries: the mystery of the ship, the mystery of Daniel Solis, the mystery of the boy, the mystery of Moira. Uh, not so much the mystery of the captain, but you know the the backstory of him and and what's what's that? How's that going to affect him? Uh, As the story progresses and there's just so much going on, but it never really feels confusing. Uh, That's one of the things I liked about this. Now, granted, maybe once things get into a second season, things will get a little more complex, but you really feel like this is a fairly straightforward story. That, uh, that you don't have to worry about flip-flopping a lot of timelines. Yeah, there are some flashbacks. Uh, we get to know some of these characters a little better uh, through some of these flashbacks, especially with Moira, especially with uh, Daniel Solace, Eric, Tova's family, some of the other characters like Jerome and Lucien. But then there are a lot of characters that you don't get much backstory for. And I, I have to imagine maybe in season two, we'll get some more backstory on some of these other characters. Like the uh, Romero and Angel character, like Oleg, you get a little bit of a backstory from Ling Yi. But the interesting thing is that the characters are very compelling. This mystery is compelling, and and the story is is compelling enough that the plot just keeps moving forward and forward and you while the mysteries aren't solved you get little pieces of the puzzle and you get this piece here and that piece there and and eventually you start to work out where all the pieces are going uh you never see the bigger picture until uh quite towards the end you start to to understand you get a little idea okay this is i think this Uh, and it it may be that to a degree, but in a bigger sense, it is so much more than what you thought it was going to be. So that's one of the things I really liked about this. I like the science fiction aspect of it. I like the slight notes of horror, like supernatural horror there was to this. I I love the mystery aspect. I think mystery tied in with horror, tied in with science fiction uh, can only make it better. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. And the look of this was spectacular. I mean, the the sets were great. They looked period authentic. The dress looked period authentic. Uh, there's on Netflix. They have a making of 1899. Watch that if you enjoy this show. Watch it because there's so much behind the scenes stuff where they talk about how they made everything from the shoes to all the clothes. They beat them, distressed them to make them look old and lived in. And this does look like a lived in world it doesn't feel like one of those slick and polished period pieces where everything looks new and shiny and it just wouldn't be how it is in in the late 1800s and so they went to great pains to to make the set and these costumes and everything look authentic and and I like I love the story uh from Bo Odar about how There was a painting in the room of Angel and Miro and this painting of a a wolf and a lamb and how that painting that the props department put in their room influenced dialogue between the two characters that Yantje Fries, I believe, wrote in. It's just you know, it's stuff like that that just fascinates me. All the behind-the-scenes stuff, and and the look of it was was spectacular. But the the effects I thought were really good. They use the volume. I, I don't know what you want to call it. It's not an effect, but instead of green screen, they use what's called volume, and it's what they use in the Mandalorian, where you have this big round or semicircle screen that they can project landscapes onto and when the stage rotates uh, you can essentially go 360 with the camera with these characters and and it really it's it allows the actor to put themselves in the environment. You know, when you're they're acting, you're not just acting to a green screen. You're acting to this vista of a mountain range, or a desert, or a prairie, or or what have you, a cityscape. Uh, you're acting in this environment, and it's it makes it so much. I think I would think as an actor, it would make it so much more. Uh, immersive as a performance to be able to to be in this environment where you're in this space and not just, like I said, on a soundstage in front of a green screen trying to pretend like you're staring out across the Serengeti or what have you. So they used that and they used that quite well. The The CG ship looked really good. The waters looked really good. I, I was really happy with all the CG and the special effects were all quality. I mean, I don't know what they sunk into this as far as production value and production cost but uh, they, they put the money and the care into creating uh, a wonderful world. And then there's so many Easter eggs because like I said, Elliot, the boy has this pyramid and you see this pyramid and triangles uh, all throughout, whether it's in the carpet, whether it's in Clements's earrings, whether it is in these trap doors underneath beds in the various rooms, you see this triangle and uh, it, it's, it's in all of the movie posters and all of the uh, press for this series, this triangle or pyramids that uh, it it plays into a bigger thing. But you, it's funny to see all the little triangle and pyramid Easter eggs throughout this. So th- there's so much care and so much dedication to one creating a good story. A good, complex, and interesting, engrossing story, but there's also the care to create a world that you can get lost in uh, with these characters. And, and the fact that the characters are a world in and of themselves where, you know, they have a scene where uh, the angel characters saying things in, in Spanish and Miro is telling them to keep quiet. And he's like, nobody can understand me. And, and I like that because it, it adds a sense of realism, how things would really be on a steamship from Europe uh, full of immigrants to America and and I love the care uh, that they put into creating that sort of realism to Creating a world that, like I said, you can get lost in. So that's really all I'm gonna talk. Well, not all I'm gonna talk about. Uh, but that's as far as the unspoilery section. Uh, from here on out, we're gonna get into some spoilers because there are some certain things, aspects of this, that I want to talk about that I, I really enjoyed from a science fiction standpoint. So if you haven't watched this yet. Go watch 1899. Come back and and listen to the rest of this. If not, uh, keep on trudging through this because we're going to start talking some spoilers. So one of the things I really dug about this was the science fiction aspect of it. I, I told everybody I've talked to about this. I said, this is dark meets lost meets the Matrix and you get elements of all of those you get the lost aspect uh, of these people uh you know kind of stranded and all these weird occurrences happening you get the feel of dark it very much in the the way this is filmed in the way the characters are written in the way the soundtrack and the score plays it feels very much like a yanja freeze baramba odar Uh, production it feels like dark in in the way it looks and the way it sounds and the way it's presented and then of course the matrix aspect of this uh, falls into really the heart of this story and, and that this reality that they're experiencing and that we have been experiencing with them may not be the reality that we think it is and and I dug what they did with this, with the Daniel Solus and Elliot character, because uh, you really, and even even to a degree, with the um, Sebastian character, the first mate of the ship, uh, he knows more than he's letting on, and we find out that he is working with Henry Singleton, and and that. Daniel and Sebastian both have these devices that they can plug into the ship, these panels that move, and there's almost this steampunk-esque looking machinery Uh, they can plug into it and control the ship, control people with these little devices, with little pieces that slide around. Remember those puzzles from back in the day where uh, the little squares slid around and you kind of had to rearrange things until you got uh, the puzzle in its right place? It kind of reminded me one of those but i loved that that sci-fi aspect of this it was so amazing to watch when they would go down they found these holes that they're just a hole underneath the floor of these staterooms in this in this ship and they're tiled in black tile and you don't know uh, what they're for and then all of a sudden you do find out what they're for because the boy uses that little beetle to open the door and it opens a door into memories and it just the effects they use for them coming out of this tunnel into this memory was was fascinating and just really fun to watch. The revelation that Daniel Solace is Moira's husband and that Elliot was their boy and they, they kind of allude to the fact that the boy is dead and this is just a memory of him. He was the first construct that she built And there's, you know, it's never really one hundred percent crystal clear. You realize that she is the one behind this. She is the neurologist. She is the one that's that's interested in realities and what is reality. Uh, We find that out from her talking with other people, her talking with Daniel, her father talking about her. We find this out about her but we don't know to what end things have got to where we're at uh her son is dying and so she created a construct for her and her husband to be able to go to spend time with their son but where did it go from that to where we're at now that's that's an interesting question that i believe will be answered in future seasons but I like that revelation as well, that, that Henry Singleton isn't the one behind this. Here this whole time, you think the Anton Lesser character, uh, Henry Singleton, is the, the bad guy and the one behind this, and he's just as trapped as everyone else, and that Moira really is the creator of all this, that a creator is mentioned, and in, in everyone's like, well, you already do mean God. Uh, no, she is the one that created this construct that all these people were in, but why? And they're again, Again, like I said, you don't really get answers. What answer you do get at the very end is is not uh, not very telling, but very interesting. And we might as well talk about that ending when when she finally, uh, through the help of of Daniel, who uh, is reprogramming the construct uh, before anyone knows what he's doing, and so she can get out and she can wake up. Uh, she gets out of this this pod. And she's in this room filled with all of the other main characters in these very similar uh, Matrix-style pods where they're asleep and in this construct. And she looks out a port window and finds that she's on a ship of a different kind, not a steamship going from Europe to America, but she is in a spaceship uh, of some sort with this uh, rotating sort of gravity situation going on there but uh you don't know you find out she ends up talking to her brother and and we hear through daniel that the brother is is has taken over this construct uh, you don't know to what end uh, daniel almost makes it sound like it's a a, a bad thing but uh, moira speaks to him through a, a computer printout and she finds out that this uh, spaceship has the same number of passengers as the Prometheus, as the Kerberos. Um, she, we find out that they are in 2099, not 1899. So that makes me wonder if uh, season two will be called 2099 if they don't go back into the go back into the construct. But it just, oh my god, it just leaves so many unanswered questions as to where this is going to go. Why are these people in this construct? Why are they out in space? What happened to Earth? where are they going? Are they just there? Are they just in space? Are they traveling somewhere? Uh, why is all this happening? Why did Moira uh, start this? Why did she put all these people, you know, there's talk about her wanting to forget the death of her child. That's why she uh, made it in the construct that she believes she can't have children to, to hide the pain of what what happened to her son? We don't even really know what happened to him. I'm sure that's something that'll be fleshed out more in a future season. But uh, it just—it's one of those shows that answers so many questions, but all the answers have follow-up questions that you're—you're you're not really sure where it's all going to go. So it was really such a, an interesting story. And another one of the things I really enjoyed about this story is that it really tackled a lot of of social issues but it did it in such a, a deft way that it didn't feel like you were being preached at about social issues. I mean there there was a lot about uh you know back then it was very taboo to come out as a gay man or or woman and and they talk about this in in the story or or by the way they portray the story about you know being closet a closeted kid with un accepting parents being a a man who has to, two men who have to keep their relationship hidden by saying they're brothers. They talk about that. Uh, There's the stigma of Tova being a young pregnant unwed mother. There's the uh, Ling Yi. She is a young Asian woman posing as a geisha and all the things that are expected of her in in that world. There's definitely a mental health angle in this. And they even talk about uh, more modern issues uh, about the spread of disease, the hysteria and the panic that comes with that uh, the mob mentality aspect of it with the mutiny on the ship and and the little things that can that can cause uh, such chaos and fighting again like I said, mob mentality and the uh, little things that can set that off really delved into those sorts of uh social issues that that really speak to today so all in all uh I just absolutely loved 1899 even more than I thought I would uh, I loved dark I probably liked this even more than dark uh and, and I really like dark so uh, I'm just really excited to see where gancha Friesen and uh, baron Bo are go with this series. I hope it gets uh, at least one more season. I hope it gets many seasons. That's one of the things I liked about Dark is they kind of had a a plan. You know, they planned to do it in three seasons and they did it in three seasons. And whether whether you like the ending or not whether you uh were as confused to tell by the end of it or not uh it's still wrapped up succinctly and i thought in a good way and in, in a way i enjoyed and hopefully they have that sort of plan with this story hopefully it's not just uh write it as we go along but even if they do write it as they go along because i i do know i i heard them talking on the the making of about how a lot of these actors uh and Aaron Bernard uh, wanted to know, you know where his character is going, and and Bo Odar uh, pretty much said, "Yeah, they don't know. They haven't written it yet." But it's not. I don't think it's going to be like a lost thing where they just kept writing and didn't really know where it was going. I, I do have complete faith in the writing team and the creative team of Yancha Fries and Baron Bo Odar that they're going to have a. a a plan in place, uh, a place where this is going, and uh, a way to get there. They may not know the weather twos and the Y fours, how they're going to get from A to B, but they know exactly where they're going with this. and And I'm excited to see where this goes because, by God, this was a this was a fun ride that that I. Just really, I love a good science fiction. And we don't get enough science fiction and fantasy. I mean, we get a little more fantasy these days uh, with the Lord of the Rings stuff, with the Wheel of Time stuff, with House of the Dragon. But uh, science fiction has really been lacking. Any any good science fiction uh, show that has been out there just hasn't done well. And I want to see shows like this really get the... They're just due uh, and and get the support that they deserve because, my God, uh, a show like this, if you liked Dark, you're going to love this. Uh, If you didn't like Dark, I think you're still going to love this uh, because it's it's less complicated. Uh, I I know a lot of people did complain that, that Dark got a little complicated, but... I enjoyed it still, and I enjoyed this even more, and it didn't seem quite as intense with the the multiple timelines as Dark did. So it, it really is, I think, a little more accessible, and I think this is a a show that has fantastic characters and fantastic actors playing those characters, and that really is the heart of any show is if you care about these characters. And these characters, the way they're written, these characters, the way the actors portray them – give you reason to care about them, give you reason to want to know more about them. And I think that is probably the biggest strength of all the strengths of this series on Netflix, 1899. So I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on 1899. We'll keep you posted as soon as we get any information on whether there's going to be a second season. Fingers crossed, there will be. I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going to go because uh, I'd like to say I have thoughts, but I just, I just don't know. Uh, it could go anywhere, and that's whew, that's a that's a dream come true. That's the kind of stuff I like, where I have no idea where I'm going, but I can't wait to get there and so we'll keep you posted on that you can find out more about what's going on with horror fantasy and sci-fi with by going to our facebook page odds bodkins curiosity shop on facebook also instagram uh, i'm on there not as diligently but uh, but on there from time to time i need to i need to post more on there but uh you can check us out there uh always adding trailers and articles from all over the internet and my two cents on what's going on with horror fantasy and science fiction especially. Especially on the facebook page and no matter where you're listening to this podcast please follow it subscribe to it uh, like the episodes share the episodes with anyone you know that loves these genres horror fantasy and science fiction and as always please leave a review five stars would be awesome that helps the algorithms that get this show put out there by the internet powers that be and get our our show exposed to more people so we do appreciate those five-star reviews but any review i appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds Bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop. <laughs>